in the summers, I tend to choose series that are non-consecutive, that is, uh, that don't depend one on the other. Although, in this series, this first, this first text really is a key text for the whole series of the summer. What we're going to be doing is looking at some parables, uh, some parables this summer, and going to start with a parable that is basic to understand all of the parables, and that's the parable uh, alternatively called the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils, Mark chapter 4, 1 to 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Another seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. There was once a man who had a donkey. It was an old and infirm donkey, and this old and infirm donkey fell into a well on his property. The well had dried up, and it was no longer useful. And try as he might, the man was not able to get the donkey out of the well. And so he made the very difficult decision to kill two birds with one stone and stop up the useless well and bury the donkey. And he called his neighbors and asked them to bring shovels, and he said, I know this is unpleasant, but we need to do this. And so all the neighbors started, started burying the donkey alive by shoveling dirt into the well. And at first the donkey was braying pitifully, and then the braying stopped. 
and they wondered what was happening, and so they looked in, and they saw that each time that they threw dirt onto the donkey, it would shake the dirt off, and then it would step on the dirt, and little by little, the donkey was being elevated out of the well, and when it got to the top, it ran away. Now, if I were to say, let's pray, and then ask you to stand for the benediction, what would you think of the sermon? You would probably be puzzled. You might wonder if you've heard me preach before, if something happened to me, if I was out in the sun too long, if I didn't get time this week to prepare, and you'd be, you'd be saying, what was the point of that? I didn't get it. If that would be your puzzlement, then you can understand something of the experience of those who heard Jesus teach in parables. Here we have, for the first time in the Gospel of Mark, some extended teaching by Jesus. Now we have heard that he was teaching through chapter 1, 2, and 3, but this is the first time we've heard a vignette, uh, at least part, of a sermon. And he taught, as it says here, in parables. Now it says there was a very large crowd gathered so that he got into a boat. He had actually planned for this eventuality. In chapter 3, verse 9, it says he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. But here he used that boat as a floating pulpit, and he spoke to the crowd that was gathered on the shore. And it says that the whole crowd was gathered beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. In parables. And he had used parables before in Mark, but this is an extended one. This is a long one. And so we're starting our series on parables with this one. Now, parable, the word parable is difficult to define because it's very flexible. And if you look at the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are full of Jesus' teaching with parables. John isn't. It's very distinct. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we find that some are long, some are short, uh, some are explained, most of them are not. And it's hard to get an idea, just looking at these parables, what a parable is. But the word itself, and a very basic and obvious aspect of parables, is that they place two things beside each other for comparison. For comparison. And they take something that is known and familiar to teach something that is not so familiar. They also combine the need to hear, to hear, with striking verbal images. And when Jesus began teaching, in verse 3, he said, Listen, behold. Now that word that is behold, uh, that's, the, that's the command to look. So we could translate this, look, or rather, listen and look. And here, this word listen is the same one that we will find later as translated here. It's all the same word. So the parables do two things. They paint a mental image that we can see with our mind's eye. And they also call us, because they're oral, they're verbal, uh, oral, and they, they call us to hear. Now, this parable, in and of itself doesn't require a great deal of explanation. Anybody who knows anything about the rudiments of uh, planting seed can understand this parable. This doesn't take any, any technical knowledge of agronomy. There are some basic elements here. There is the sower. There is the seed. 
Uh, there are different soils. There are four different soils. And there are six different outcomes. Six different outcomes of the sowing of these seeds in these soils. Four soils, but six outcomes. Three of the outcomes are fruitless. Three are fruitless. There is the outcome of the seed that fell on the hard ground, packed down by people walking on the way. Uh, the seed could not penetrate. It was sitting there. It was ripe for the feeding of the birds, and they come and they eat it up. Gone. The second is the seed that was sown in shallow, rocky soil. There was a layer of dirt and then rocks underneath. It looked promising. It began to grow up, but there was nowhere for its roots, and so when the sun shone, it withered. No fruit. The third looked even more promising. It was sown, but there were other competitors in the soil in which it was sown. There were thorns, and when the the good seed grew up and produced uh, at least a stalk, maybe leaves, it was choked out by the thorns, and it never produced fruit. So there were three sets of seeds that were fruitless. But then there were three sets of seeds that were fruitful. There were, seed, uh, there were seeds that fell into good soil. But these didn't all have the same outcome. They all had good outcomes, but they didn't have all the same outcome. There were those that produced a respectable 30-fold increase, 30 times as much. And there were those who produced twice that. Uh, they produced 60-fold what was sown. And that's, that's becoming a, a, much more, a much more fruitful harvest. And then there were those who produced a hundredfold of that which was sown. Now, um, that's what Jesus said. That was the story. And he left it at that. There is an aspect of this story, if we think about it and read it, that is striking and even troubling. Even troubling. And that is how apparently careless the sower is with his precious seed. He, he's, he threw it everywhere, uh, apparently without regard for the kind of soil on which it was falling. He was, he was apparently careless about the way he treated his valuable seed. Now, Jesus ended this parable as he introduced it. How did he start? Verse 3, listen, look. And then he ended it with, verse 9, he said, He who has ears to hear, let him Hear. So it's an invitation to listen, to hear, but it's sort of enigmatic. It's strange. What is this about ears to hear? And then he stopped. That was the sermon. That was it. (laughs) Closing in prayer, calling for the benediction, and that was it. And that's what the people had. Now, alone later, in verse 10, we have a conversation between those who were around him, it says, and the twelve. So this is not just the twelve. Some others, apparently, who had heard this, not apparently, they had heard this, they, they wanted more, and so they joined in, and they were able to be there alone with Jesus, and they asked him about not just this parable, but they asked him about parables. And here we have the first explanation of one of the purposes of parables. Why did Jesus use parables? And this explanation is very, very surprising. Now, Jesus says to them in verse 11 and 12, he talks about two groups. And he says, 
to you, to you, that is you the twelve, and you who have joined yourselves to this, this inner circle here, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Now, this is, this is a passive verb, has been given. And we find this in scripture sometimes when they don't want to mention God's name. It's a, it's called a divine passive. And that is to say, God has given it to you. So it, it mentions God without mentioning his name. It has been given to you the secret of the kingdom. So you all, on the inside, you have the secret that you need to understand the parables. And that secret is the secret of the kingdom. Now, uh, this is a good translation of this word secret because a secret is that which is unknown until it's told. And then it's no longer secret, right? And so once it is told to those, 12, and to the others, then it's no longer secret for them. It's no longer mysterious. It is theirs to take advantage of. And he's saying, you have that. To you it has been given. God has given you this secret so you can understand the parables. In other words, in other words, understanding the parables is a gift of God. It's a gift of God, and we are dependent upon God to be able to understand the parables. It must be given to us. Now, um, those on the outside are in another situation. Verse 11, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. And then verse 12, So that... And this is, this is quite startling, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Does that sound to you like it sounds to me? That Jesus is saying that he taught in parables so that they would not understand. That's what he's saying here. And when we go back to Isaiah... Isaiah had this call that we already read, but I'll just read the the couple verses here that Jesus quotes in Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. This was Isaiah's mission. He said, here am I, send me. And God said, okay, go and preach, but they will not understand. They will not listen. Keep on hearing. Uh, He said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So there's that aspect in Isaiah and there's that aspect here in Jesus. Teaching in a way that the people would not understand. That's what those who were outside received. Now, you probably learned if you went to Sunday school or if you've studied the parables at some level, you probably heard it said, Jesus used parables to make it easy to understand. That's not what he says here, is it? He says he he was using parables so that people would not understand. And now we need to ask ourselves, why would he or any teacher do something like that? Why would you take the time and make the effort to preach to hundreds or thousands of people in a way that was veiled, a way that was concealed? Why would you bother teaching at all if the way you're doing it is a way that will not allow them to understand? Well, 
one way we can understand this is by putting it in the context of Jesus' entire ministry. How did Jesus come to the earth? How did the Son of God come among us? In an open way? Revealing all of who He was from the very beginning? As I read the Gospels, I find that He was born in ignoble circumstances to a a couple that apparently didn't have much in the way of resources. And He wasn't even born in a proper home. And then He spent 30 years veiled in obscurity. And then when he, He came onto the scene, He did things like cast out demons because He didn't want them to say who He was. And He would heal somebody and then He would say, don't tell anyone. And He would have a wonderful uh, preaching time in a, in a town and then He would say, let's get out of here. Uh, uh, there are too many people. We need to go to other places. And so we see this teaching with parables was, was in keeping with the whole approach of the Son of God to us. It was revealing and concealing at the same time. At the same time. Now, that, as we continue reading in the Gospels, was only temporary. That was because Jesus had a plan. And Jesus had a timetable. And He was going to fulfill His plan in His way according to His timetable. I think it's significant that that Mark includes this next parable in verses 21 and 22, immediately after the parable of the sower. And he says here, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Well, that's kind of what parables were doing, weren't they? They were putting this this lamp under a basket or under a bed. They, They were hiding it. But then he says this, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So what is he saying? It's veiled now. It is concealed now. But a day is coming when it will no longer be concealed, but will be proclaimed from the housetops. But one of the purposes of parables is temporarily to conceal the message. Now, Another purpose of the parables, we find that in verses 13 and following, which is Jesus' explanation of the meaning of the parables. So we find these who wanted to know more, they come and they ask Him. And verse 13 says this, He said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? What is He indicating here? He's indicating that this parable contains something that if we understand it, we will understand all of the parables. And if we don't understand it, we will not understand any of the parables. And what has he already told those on the inside? He has said, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. And so what we need to do is to see how Jesus, in his explanation, didn't tell us what the secret of the kingdom of God was, But he hinted at it in this explanation. And in so doing, he told us one of the other purposes of parables. But this this parable of the sowers is, is a key to the rest of the parables. It is a parable about parables. So this parable operates on a number of different levels here. Because it is a parable that talks about the function of 
parables. And so if we can understand this parable, we can understand other parables. Now, Jesus interpreted most of the elements of the parable, but not all. Which are the ones he interpreted? Well, he interpreted the seed, verse 14. He said, the sower sows the word. The word. And already we know from the Gospel of Mark that the word is the good news, the gospel message. And then the first soil represents those who hear. Everyone hears, but in different ways. Those who hear the word, but it goes in one ear and out the other and produces nothing. The second seed uh, that fell on rocky ground represents those who hear the word and they think this is the greatest news in the world and they respond with joy. But then they realize that the Christian life is not so easy and because of their attachment to the word, they receive some opposition and they very, very quickly fall away and they produce no fruit. Then there's the third seed. The third seed is that which falls among the thorns And it also represents those who start well. They hear the gospel message. They respond in a positive way. But they have a number of other concerns in life. Worldly concerns, earthly concerns, the pursuit of of wealth and, and prosperity. And these things just choke out the word. And it doesn't become fruitful in their lives. And then... We have the seed sown on good soil in verse 20. It says that these are the ones who hear the word and accept it. So these are different. They not only hear it, what do they do? They accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Now, the clear call of this parable is for us to think about our lives, to evaluate ourselves in terms of how we hear the word. And try to find out in what category we are. Are we hard hearers? We hear it, but it doesn't penetrate. Are we superficial hearers? We're, we're temporary. Are we hearers that we, we made a good start, but there are many other concerns in life and those things pull us away? Or are we hearers in whom this word takes root and produces 30-fold, 60-fold, or a hundredfold. That is the clear and challenging call of this parable. What does the word do in us? What has it produced in us? Now, everything you notice hinges on how we what? Hear. How we hear this parable. Uh, in other words, another function of the parables is to do what? Force us to hear. You see, The parables don't give us all the information. They're concealed. So what does that force us to do? It forces us to scratch our heads. It forces us to to think deeply. It forces us to ask questions because we didn't get it. And we realize that we're missing something. And, And if we hear with an intention to understand, then we will seek that something. And this is the second purpose of the parables. It It challenges us to hear. It challenges us to listen. So one purpose of the parables is to conceal. Another purpose of the parables is to invite, to challenge, to call that we might understand the parables. So understanding the parables is two things. On the one hand, it's a gift of God. 
On the other hand, it is the result of hearing properly. Another parable that Jesus told immediately after this parable, if you look at verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. He's applying that to how we hear. And notice in this text, we have an encouraging note. Because it's very discouraging to hear, to you it's been given, to those it hasn't been given. It sounds hopeless, doesn't it? But notice that some of those who heard stuck with Jesus and asked for more. And what did they receive? They received the secret of the kingdom of God so that they could understand. Now, um, if you want to ask me what the donkey in the well means, I'm not going to tell you. Figure it out yourself. That's what the parables do. And maybe you'll spend the rest of the day thinking, what did that parable mean? And if so, you are experiencing something of this dynamic of the parables calling you to think, to wonder, to figure it out. Now, one thing that Jesus didn't do here is He didn't tell us what the fruit was. Did you notice that? He talks about fruitlessness, He talks about fruit, but He never tells us what the fruit is. Why not? Well, one reason, apparently, is because the rest of the New Testament tells us what the fruit is. And we can look at a couple texts that tell us what that fruit is. There is, of course, one that jumps out to us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so we can do a fruit check with these. We can see if, if these are growing in our lives to know if we have heard, received, and become fruitful. Looking for the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of Christian character developing in our lives. But there's another kind of fruit in the New Testament. And that's the fruit of bringing other people to Jesus. That's the fruit of the mission of the church, the fruit of evangelization, the fruit of going out and telling people about Jesus and, and bringing them into eternal life. Here's a section from John in which he uses this image, John chapter 4, verse 35, where he's talking to his disciples and he's had this encounter with a woman, a Samaritan woman at the well, and he says, Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. Two types of fruit that ought to be produced in the life of those who hear and those who really receive, it will be produced. The fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of ministry to other people, bringing them into relationship to Jesus Christ. Now, there's one other aspect of this parable that Jesus did not interpret. And I don't know whether you noticed that or not. But he never told us who the sower is. He told us that the sower sows the word, but he didn't tell us who the sower is. He didn't describe the fruit, and he didn't tell us who the sower is. So in, a direct, in, in an indirect way, Jesus hinted at the answer. Because what was Jesus doing 
even as he was telling the parable about parables. He said that the sower sows the word. And what was Jesus doing when he was telling this parable about the sower who sows the word? He was apparently carelessly throwing out his words to the winds. And what was he indicating here? If someone who has ears to hear and is watching Jesus and hearing what he's saying about this parable and wondering, what is this this mystery? What is this secret? How can we understand this? And he's noticed that Jesus is acting out what he's saying that the sower does. They may just come to the conclusion that Jesus is the sower. And guess what, my friends? That's the secret of the kingdom. And you say, well, of course, we already knew that. That is so obvious, Larry. What kind of a secret is that? Well, think about the people that were standing on the shore. That was not obvious. It's obvious to you because you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It was not obvious to them. And that is the secret. Jesus is the King. And the kingdom is coming in Jesus. That is the key. The secret of the kingdom to understand all of the parables of the kingdom and all of the parables in the New Testament that we are going to be studying this summer. Now, there's something else that this parable does that indirectly at least points to the king, but not only to the king, but to what the king would do. Because if you think about a seed, in order for a seed to bring forth life, a seed needs to fall to the ground and die. And a seed, in order to bring forth life, it needs to be buried under the earth. And so, once again, hidden in this parable is an indication of this this king who came and, and, and threw out the word the Word, the Gospel message. And what do we find here? A hint about what that Gospel message is. That Jesus Himself, the King Himself, would be like that seed. That in order for Him to give life, in order for Him to bring forth eternal life, the fruit of eternal life, and all who would believe in Him, He would have, like that seed, to die and to be dormant under the earth for a time, but that three days later, that lifeless seed would break forth and bear fruit and give life to everyone who will hear this gospel word, who will receive it and show that he or she has received it by bearing much fruit. Let's pray. Our God, we are amazed at Jesus knowing that He is the Son of God, but also being amazed at how He taught as a teacher. And no one ever taught like Him. That's what people said who heard Him. Even when they went to arrest Him, they said nobody ever taught like Him, so we left Him alone. Lord, we pray that as we hear His message to us today, His message to us every time we open this book, every time we hear it read, every time we hear it explained, that we would hear 
and receive and that it would bear fruit in our lives. That we would not be hard hearers, superficial hearers, or distracted hearers, but that we would be hearers who hear the Word, receive it, and that it would produce much fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of ministry in the lives of other people. O oh God, I pray for all in the hearing of my voice today. I pray for those who are hearing Your Word preached in other churches around the world today, that You would give us all ears to hear, so that we might hear, and might know the secret of the Kingdom of God that has come in the King who fell to the earth and died, so that He might rise again and give much fruit. And we pray in His name. Amen.